five, four, three, two, one. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Agency Podcast. Eugene here in Toronto. Candy, you're in Chicago. Hey, Candy, it's good to talk to you. You too. Good to see you and talk to you. I can see you on the computer video. So we've got those turned on right now. And um, how's things going around there? Well, it's been an insane week here um, because, well, as you know, but our listeners don't know, um, uh, my wife, Sheila, had to get some eye surgery. She got, yeah. got done something called a vitrectomy Ooh. to correct a hole in her the back of her retina. Oh, God. I'm glad that was able to be done and fixed. Yeah, it's and pretty she's interesting. she's healing right now? Uh, pardon me? She's in the process of healing right now? Yeah, she's healing right now, and yeah. she has to stay with her head down oh. all the time. Oh, my uh, God. Including sleeping. And tomorrow, finally, we go back to the hospital for a recheck, and we'll see if she has to continue doing that or if she mm. can, you know, Straight not up. have to, to have her head tucked down oh, all the time. Oh, my God. How did she watch TV? Just at an angle? Uh, listened, really. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. we got uh, one of those <laughs> massage table units. Oh, good. That's like a donut that she could yep. sort of put her face like she could put that anywhere she could be sitting down on a, a couch and put it on a tv table or um, lie down with it there so she can get a little bit of comfort but the whole thing is uh, not i don't think it's very comfortable for her at all and no so it's so been sad. a challenging a challenging week here but you know healing and hopefully um tomorrow the doctor will say hey it's looking really good good well i think we've both had a, a big week i'll tell you about mine later on um, I just got to build up for it. I should have got some scotch. But um, other than that, uh, you know, I'm just glad to be here at the podcast and talking to you. And uh, the weather's getting better. And that's yes, a good it thing. is. It, yes. Today, it felt a lot like spring. That's for sure. Yeah. Clocks went forward. That's right. Yeah. Just before uh, the podcast today, you know what I did? Mm. You know what? Here's a short uh, comfort food <laughs> diner segment. Oh, good. I um, I made crackers. I've never made oh, crackers before. I think that's such a great thing to do. I love Turns that. Out, I have made them. It's the easiest yeah. thing, like, in the history of, of the world. Mm, it's so rewarding. You know, uh, yeah, and I made uh, uh, crackers, which at the end, you know, I dampened them, and I poked all the little holes in, and I dampened them, and then <laughs> sprinkled on some salt and some za'atar. Oh, and I love za'atar. They were wow, super yummy. So good. So oh, good. Yeah. Did you make your own za'atar? Uh, no, it was a blend that Sheila bought somewhere. Mm. Uh, I, I'm not sure where, really. It's a particularly good mix, though. Oh, yum. One of my favorites. Yes. And it tastes really good on crackers. So you can put some peanut butter on that or cheese or something. Yes. Yes, yeah. whatever. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. I've also made... Um, uh, cheese crackers like parmesan and sesame seeds i actually so put parmesan in in these zatar crackers yeah, as well yeah yeah, yeah. just that extra bit of no flour yeah that extra protein less flour mm, delicious yeah <laughs> um and uh you know aside from that working on the working on the fiddle starting to uh carve the bottom plate which is a, a chunk of maple and you know, you might imagine that a fiddle has a flat top and a flat bottom, but of course they don't. 
they yeah. have very carefully arched tops and bottoms. <laughs> so those arches have to be hand carved, um, unless you have a CNC machine and you know a fabricating plant. But mm -hmm. um, the normal way is to hand carve them. With so are you just chipping, chiseling away? Yes, exactly. Oh, wow. it's really slow. One of oh. the things this project is teaching me is the incredible beauty of slowing down. <laughs> you do nothing fast when you try to make a fiddle. It's mm. all about slowing down, taking your time, getting it right. Um, some of the processes take a long time. Uh, and that's a big lesson for me, you know? Yeah, I, I you know what to... I see in your future? What's that? Three or, three or four fiddles all at once. <laughs> and moving from one to the next to the next. Oh, that's an idea, isn't it? Isn't it? I know. I like to my. I like my time management ideas. <laughs> yeah, I like that. <laughs> yeah, because I, once you get this one, your confidence is going to go through the roof. I know. Gonna, I know that after I do this one, I'll know what all where all the mistakes are, and I'm going to want to do another one and correct all those mm -hmm. mistakes. I know that's this. Right. I know that about you too, and I still think it's going to sound good. I still yeah, have oh, a feeling probably. this is going to sound good. But probably the first like... one will will sound the best. <laughs> well. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, your first your first time. And then you're going to play it. You're going to love it. How long does it have to dry before you play it? Like uh, It depends on the kind of varnish that's used, oh, but oh. Um, not that long. A couple of okay. days. Oh, yeah. a couple of days. Wow. Yes, and this, this fiddle will be named Lenore. Oh, interesting. And if I do a second one, the second one will be named Nadine. And the third one, if I do a third one, will be... Lucille. <laughs> Mm -mm. It no. will be Anne Britt. Anne Britt. Anne okay. Britt. Yeah, Is that from a song? the no, it's from the Wallander TV show. <laughs> wow. Okay. Wow. I just thought it was a terrific name. It's a it's a great name. I like your little series. So I I do see you manufacturing. See, you already had three fiddles in mind. Well, I know I it's said, it's sad I that I thought names ahead, isn't it? I know, and then I see the next two at least two at a time being lined up. And that way you can move from one process, let it do that, and you can go to the next and the next. Well, and time it all really well. It's going to take a long time just to get this first one done. Uh, I'm, you know, the biggest thing is I'm determined to complete it. Yeah. Right. And it's uh, even though I know that there's going to be some some more obstacles, like the idea of carving the scroll terrifies me. Oh yeah. I'm not quite sure. Do that by hand? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah, so, no, you'll you'll be fine. You can draw it with pencil first, can't you? <laughs> I think so. Yeah, and make templates, and or you could unpeel an orange and lay it on there and trace it. Right? You could do you that. Peel it. You peel your clementine. Lay it on there. Trace it. I don't know. That'd be good. That's for the f holes. Oh well, what were you talking about? I was talking about the scroll. What's you a know, scroll? Well, at, at the top of the neck where the peg box is, there's a scroll where it oh. has a little loop-de-loop. -loop. Oh, see, I would be worried about those F-holes. That's funny, because I thought that's what you meant. Because when you said you were serious, I was like, oh, God, yeah, F-holes, that'd be so scary. But I, I don't know why I thought scroll. No, you know, the F-holes you do by, you drill a top and bottom hole. Because that there's a round part of the sure. top and the bottom, and sure. then you use a knife and you you start you start a cut 
in the middle of the F hole and you start whittling back towards the edges. Oh yeah, so that that's how it's unnerving. done. That's unnerving. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's terrifying. <laughs> yeah, that, that does sound terrifying to me. Um, I have no idea yeah. how I'll do it. I'm just oh, going to not worry about it and right. sally forth into sally the wilderness. Forth. That's right. the way you have to do it. That's I, the way you have I to do it. So. Yeah. So I was running around today and I, I had to leave you. I had to abandon you. Yes. Well, you know. I got screwed up. Um, I'm going to go back a few days. Yeah. Uh, Sheila read in the, in the Toronto Star about a band that is playing what what was characterized as Ukrainian speed folk music <laughs> out of St. John's, Newfoundland, uh-huh. called the Kuba Sonics. That's a great name. And I thought, that's a great name. I've got to yeah. check these guys out. Well, I, I went on and, and checked out some videos on YouTube and, well, they're fantastic. <laughs> they are just fantastic. They draw in all kinds of influences from all sorts of different kinds of music. They play loads of different instruments, including, um, you know, a hammered dulcimer um, oh, type instrument. They um, they call it a, a, a cymbala, uh, but we would call it a hammered dulcimer here. It's, it's mm-hmm. uh, uh, Brian talks about it as being uh, like the insides of a piano. Mm. so anyway i i contacted the band so i, I really love it. these guys i contacted yeah. the band and and i i talked to uh brian chervek uh who fronts the band and he was kind enough to us uh, to spend some time with me this morning um so what we're going to do now is we're going to listen to the Kubasonics first uh mm-hmm. a tune called kalina and uh, and then we're going to go to uh, to my conversation with uh, with Brian Chervek, and then we're going to come back to uh, the Agency Luxury Studios in Chicago <laughs> and Toronto and uh, continue on. Sounds great. <laughs>
Today, we're joined by Brian Chervek from the Cuba Sonics, and I'm totally excited to, to talk with Brian today. How are you doing? Uh, fine, thanks, uh, Gene. Well, difficult times. So it's been a perfect storm for you guys between the pandemic and this horrific invasion of, of Ukraine. Uh, it must be so incredibly difficult right now. Yeah, we're uh, we're kind of uh, stretched to the limits. You know, we're trying to uh, keep in contact with as many friends and family in Ukraine, uh, try and get help to them as best as possible. And at the same time, trying to organize, you know, some public events here to raise awareness of what's going on help raise some funds for humanitarian aid and all that sort of stuff, so. Oh, good, good. Um, yeah, we, we, we sent some uh, some money in through the, the Red Red Cross the other day. Hopefully that will get where it needs to, it needs to go. Um, my, my wife is Ukrainian. Uh, my ancestry is, is Polish next door. Right. Um, you've been at this, uh, this Cuba Sonics for quite some time. Yeah, uh, the, the, the original idea came to me many years ago while I was still living in the prairies of Canada. And uh, I started the whole, uh, started the band kind of by an accident because I, I play a lot of weird instruments and folks used to invite me to come play at festivals doing weird instrument stuff. And one year, my brother happened to be living with me for the summer. He's also a musician. And uh, we said, hey, how, what if we bring a whole band and play our set instead of just me by myself? And that went over so well that it kind of evolved into what it is now. So we did a wow. kind of a part-time part-time kind of thing while I lived on the prairies. But uh, since I, I've been living in Newfoundland now for the last 11 years. And um, when my uh, oldest daughter moved here, she was uh, going to university on the prairies. But when she completed her program, she came to start a master's degree here. And that's when we got this band back together. And it's been kind of a full-time endeavor since then. Now, is your daughter the fiddler in the band? That's right. That's my daughter, Maria. She plays the fiddle. Ah, now, now I understand she's also a classical player. Is that true? Oh, yes. Yeah. So she came to Newfoundland to do master's degree in violin. She's a member of the Newfoundland Symphony Orchestra, but she also plays all kinds of other fiddle styles. So she plays in a couple of bluegrass bands in town. She plays all the uh, trad traditional, like, you know, Newfoundland Irish music. I know I was uh, heard from you uh, about Ottawa Valley music. Uh, she plays all the kind of Canadian old time fiddle tunes. I mean, that's Fantastic. something I used to do in the previous days as well. Uh, I used to play the piano for lots of old time fiddlers, like at fiddle contests and stuff like that. Ah, so. great. Yeah. yeah, that's I think one thing distinctive about the Canadian fiddle styles is that piano background. Yeah, which is non non-existent in Newfoundland. like. In Cape Breton, the piano is still really important in their fiddle yes. music. In Newfoundland, it doesn't exist. <laughs> and so it's mostly fiddle to, fiddles by themselves, you know, usually with a guitar or some other thing like that, uh, maybe a drum or... Sure, and, and, and lots of accordion. Button accordion, a lot of that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you know, I was in Halifax one day uh, a number of years ago, and I, I, I didn't have my button accordion with me, and I was playing a lot of button accordion at the time, and I wanted to find a place to play, and I found this folk music center. So I went in and all I saw was fiddles and mandolins and more fiddles. And, and, and I, I asked the fellow there, where's the accordions? And he looked at me and he said, what do you think this is, St. John's? Yeah. Yeah, that fiddle, I mean, uh, uh, Nova Scotia and especially Cape Breton, you know, their, their tradition is, is mostly uh, from the Irish, uh, from the Scottish, I should say, uh, uh, background. And the fiddle is more king there. And uh, 
and uh, Newfoundland kind of picked up more on the uh, Irish kind of thing. So the, the Irish style accordion plan is really pop taken off. Certainly in the last since I've been in Newfoundland, you know, there's a bit there's there's lots of exchanges between Ireland and and Newfoundland itself. Like there's a one festival that happens the exchange where it where it, where it's produced each year. So one year it's in Ireland, one year it's here, and it kind of goes back and forth. So all the lots of Irish traditions are held over. And, uh, and there was also, you know, back in the day, the Portuguese fishing fleet used to stop here a lot as well. And there's a lot of influence of Portuguese music in some Newfoundland, you know. Sure, yeah. Newfoundland accordion music, like there's a few well-known uh, accordion players, you know, who picked up lots of the repertoire from, the, from those Portuguese fishermen. Were, uh, were St. John's residents receptive to, uh, to, to a band singing in, uh, in Ukrainian? when you first started playing there? Yeah, I think the first time uh, we showed up, you know, they, it was people came to see like if it's some ship landed from Mars, we just want to see what's going to climb out of that ship, you know? And, uh, but I think what, what uh, two things happened. First of all, like uh, the, most of the music that we play, even though there's like, you know, hundreds of different genres of Ukrainian music, we, we kind of play more of the upbeat kind of stuff. So it has the same feel of that upbeat traditional Newfoundland music. And then the other thing is they already have a pretty well-established tradition of contemporary bands taking traditional music and then twisting it around a little bit to make something different out of it. So, you know, there was uh, bands like Figgy Duff back in the 70s. Oh, sure, I remember them, yeah. Figgy Duff, uh, Rollins Cross that's based, you know, uh, many of the musicians are based out of here. I mean, the early early recordings, the Great Big Sea, they were playing lots of traditional tunes. And then there's like, you know, a whole range of other bands like that. So they were kind of, they could the idea of taking in old time stuff and twisting it around was already something that they were familiar with so they could catch on to that too and uh, and i think you know we're also really lucky because i mean besides because i mentioned my daughter plays in this band my son also plays in this band so he's our drummer jacob cherrick but besides them we also have two of of saint john's like finest musicians darren brown and matt and they're they're well known and play in all kinds of other bands here as well and so you know as soon as you see their names on something people knew right away it had to be oh, okay sure, that be makes good. sense if those guys are involved it must be something worth listening to so they paid attention to it a little bit yeah now you you play an astonishing array of instruments can you talk about some of the traditional instruments you you play with the band well the thing that people see me playing most often it's this crazy instrument called the cymbala it's kind of like a hammer dulcimer that's the easiest way to describe Yes, when I first started watching your videos and I and I saw you playing it, I have a I have a friend from Missouri who plays hammered dulcimer and it looks very very similar. Yeah, and you know you're hitting the string, same kind of approach. That's right. Yeah, and when I go, like sometimes I do workshops either for community groups or for schools and stuff. I explain to him this is kind of like the insides of a piano. So you know when you play the piano, you press the keyboard little you know little pieces of wood jump up and down inside and uh and uh and hit all the strings and um in when i'm doing this there's just no keyboard so i have to hit all the strings myself and and the reason for that is the the type of instrument i'm playing is most popular in the western provinces of ukraine and especially up in the mountain carpathian mountains and it's easier to walk with this dulcimer up a mountain than it is to drag a piano up a mountain so so to to 
to play it portably, have you got some kind of strap unit that that will hold it up so you could walk and play? I do have that. So this one that I have, it's built with, you know, it has has a places where I can attach a strap. And that's traditionally how it was played for many years. Uh, you know, I played on a stand now just because I'm switching instruments all the time and I'm jumping around. But I mean, I have I have actually done that. Like traditionally, what they also would have done is, you know, uh, Ukrainian weddings last for several days. Uh, you know, there's a couple of days of various kind of rituals before they actually get down to getting married. And uh, there's musicians doing all of that sort of stuff. And usually what happens, the bride has her own wedding and the groom has his own wedding. And then eventually they meet up somewhere and they each have their own groups of musicians. And so what, what one of the parts of that wedding would be is like a long procession where you musicians are leading you playing music. And, uh, and uh, it's pr primarily in the old days, it was like fiddle and the, my instrument that's cymbala. Uh, and then, so if you had a fiddle and a cymbala, that's enough for a whole band. If you had a fiddle, a cymbala, and a drum, that's a whole orchestra. And then anything you add on after that is is just, you know, icing on the cake. And wow. I've actually played, I've actually played a few of those weddings where I had to walk, you know, walk a few distances carrying this around my neck. And uh, uh, I I tip my hat to the old the gentlemen of the previous generations who just had to do that for a long time. Yeah. Well, that's uh, that's really fantastic. Now, I've seen in videos you also playing some version of pipes, as well as flutes, uh, keyboards, uh, bandura, jaw harp, accordion. Yeah. It never ends, Brian. Well, I've been collecting instruments, you know, pretty much all my all my life since I was a small kid, even, and uh, I probably have a couple of hundred different instruments, and of that, like of different kinds of Ukrainian instruments, probably are 40 or so or different types that, and you know, I can play them to varying degrees. There's people in Ukraine that can play them all much better than I can. But, uh, but yeah, so we try and include all those things like there's traditional bagpipes that come from Ukraine. So I've been collecting those and, and try to play that all kinds of different flutes. Uh, you mentioned the bandura. We don't use that less so in our band, but we do from time to time. It's kind of like a long, giant plucked lute sort of instrument, sort of mm. a cross between a lute and a harp. And sometimes the hurdy-gurdy, that's, that's also an instrument that's traditional in, in Ukrainian music. So uh, in Is Ukrainian- really? I, had, I had no idea that was a, I, there's a Ukrainian tradition of, of hurdy-gurdy. Yeah, it's kind of, it, it also comes from the same tradition where the bandura music originated from. Both those two instruments, the hurdy-gurdy and the bandura, they were played by blind minstrels in Ukraine. And they used to play all these long epic ballads. And, uh, you know, sometimes they told historical stories and sometimes they told stories with messages for how you should live your life and be a good person. And, and then sometimes they just sang humorous songs as well. So we kind of sometimes draw on all of those things. And uh, so, yeah, we have a few tunes with Erdy Gertie in it as well. And uh, uh, of course, like I uh, play the accordion because that's kind of familiar to everybody in North America and some of the music that we play kind of lends itself to that too. Sure, that, that, that makes perfect sense. I understand you play in some other bands as well. Um, I heard somewhere that you also, you're in a Greek band, is that so? <laughs> that's correct, yeah, so we, in fact, it turns out that five, well, all of us in this band ended up eventually into that Greek band. So uh, there were a group of Greeks uh, here in St. John's and they started a, a music ensemble just for fun for themselves. 
And then, you know, the Greek community started inviting them to come perform at different things. And a couple of the people in that band, I mean, they're all professional people. They're all doctors and engineers and, and scientists and stuff like that. So they just were playing music for fun. And a couple of them said, you know, well, we're too busy with our regular, you know, we like coming over to play music, you know, for relaxation, but we're not performers. We don't want to be on stage in a show. And so the leader of that group, he invited one of our guys, Darren, our guitar player, no, I think Matt was the first one to join that group. Matt played the bass with him. And then Darren Matt joined on. He started playing the bazooki. And then someone, someone else dropped out. So they took me on. I played accordion there, but I also play this instrument called the baglamas. It's like a Greek instrument. So they taught me how to play that. And, um, and then uh, the violinist in that band uh, ended up pregnant and having a baby. And she couldn't play anymore. So they got Maria and the group. And then, and then lastly... Jacob started playing percussion there. So we, all five of us plus one Greek singer and one famous Newfoundland musician, Dave Panting, who you may know or heard of. He's the one of the main shakers in Rollins Cross. And he also was in that band Figgy Duff at one time. So Dave also plays in that Greek band with us. But besides that, I also play, all of us, all five of us play in all, all kinds of bands around town. Uh, you know, Matt, the bass player and I, we play in a kind of 70s style rock band. Uh, Darren and I, we play in an old-time country band, uh, playing like old, you know, like George Jones and Loretta Lynn and that kind of music. Oh, wow, fantastic. And Jacob, Maria, and I, we play in a honky-tonk band, so it's kind of playing 70s sort of honky-tonk country music. And then uh, Jacob plays in about five different punk bands. Uh, Matt plays with some kind of a soul group. Yeah. Oh, he plays in a famous bluegrass band here, too, called Crooked Stovepipe. They're like the longest running bluegrass band in Canada. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I know that I know the the tune Crooked Stovepipe. I play yeah, it on fiddle. Their name their name comes from that. But I mean that band's sure. been around I think for 40 years, but Matt's only been playing with them for the last seven or eight, I think. And uh and as I mentioned Maria on the fiddle, she plays with all kinds of people. And Darren Brown, the our guitar player, he's played with everybody you can imagine. So wow, you guys are, are so versatile. And even within the Cuba Sonics, you know, this morning I was listening to um, one of the tunes from your your new album, uh, Kuba Songs, uh, called uh, Kuba Sa. Uh, seemed to have seemed to have surf guitar and hip hop happening at the same time as as the Ukrainian stuff. It's really marvelous to listen to. Yeah, it's kind of what we try and do is is pull in like little bits from all those other different kind of music that we all play and see how they fit into a particular song. And that that song itself, you know, one of the things that I do as well, I collect records and I have hundreds of old 78 records that were made in the 20s and 30s in North America. And that's that song was recorded, I think, in like 1931 or something like that. And then on the prairies of Canada in the 60s, a, a new kind of record industry exploded and people kept making new records there. And that song became really popular, but it's done like an old time polka, like it's got a polka beat to it. And we wanted to kind of twist it around to make it, you know, sound kind of more modern and give it some kind of a chorus that people could sing along to and that sort of stuff. So uh, fantastic. I'm really enjoying the fact that there's all kinds of different elements. There's humor, there's high, there's high energy uh, beats, but as well, there's just superb musicianship across the whole band, great songwriting. Um, and the, the way you take the traditional melodies and, and mess with them and have fun with them. Uh, 
uh, Kuba Songs is just a fabulous album. I'm going to recommend it to all of my friends and all of our listeners, of course. Well, and I would also suggest, I think the easiest place to see this, if you look at our Facebook page, there's a video up there that shows the flip through of uh, the album cover art. So the cover art for this album, it was made by a local designer named Judd Haynes and Judd's, uh, he designed stuff for everybody like Blue Rodeo and the astronaut Chris Hadfield and all kinds of stuff. And because of, uh, because of COVID, you know, uh, some of the things that he usually does like doing uh, posters for festivals and concerts and stuff, he had a bit of time because those things weren't happening. And he pitched this idea of making a thing based on this tradition of cut paper. And that's actually a tradition that's really popular, was really popular in Ukraine. And uh, my wife's grandmother used to do that kind of artwork. And so he cut all the design is all made out of like, he cut by hand with a knife, all kinds of shapes and designs and pictures. And we have the deluxe version of our LP has a little booklet glued to the cover of it. And you can flip through all the pages of that album. So what, when it's all closed, it looks like the cover of the regular LP, but then you can peel layer by layer away. And as you peel a layer away, he's hidden secret stuff underneath there that you don't see when it's all closed. And it's just an amazing piece of art. I told, when he gave the idea to me about doing this, I said, you know, people will buy this and never listen to our music. They'll just look at your cover. They'll hang it up on the wall. Uh, I'm sure they're going to listen to the music uh, as well because uh, it's just fantastic. Well, thanks. When, so when you're developing the music, um, do you like do, do you get the, the band together to like you know work on work on grooves and develop the melodies further, or is it you know do you come up with an arrangement and then teach the band? How does that work? As this band's developed, this this St. John's version of this band, it's become more of an organic team effort. And it's because, you know, everybody's bringing lots of other interesting stuff to it. You know, as I mentioned, I was doing this on the prairies before. It was mostly my ideas that I would come up with arrangements of. And even when we started here, you know, because everybody wasn't really familiar with what it is that I was trying to do same kind of thing the first couple songs that we did were i had stuff ready sometimes i come with a whole idea ready but lots of times i come with part of an idea and say okay look at here's what i'm thinking of what do you guys you know what can you what what would you like to add to this and i think it's been a great process this newest record it's it shows more of a team kind of team kind of spirit to it when i first heard about about your group it was really just after I had seen on the news that that the Russians were trying to say that Ukraine had no unique culture. And I thought, that's crazy. Not only do they have unique culture, it's loved around the world. And here we have a group of musicians, St. John's, Newfoundland, celebrating Ukraine culture. It's, it's almost like an act of defiance. You're going out and having that Ukrainian party in spite of what's happening around the world. Exactly that, you know, we had a release date for a record set months ago, never knowing that, that the Russians were gonna attack Ukraine. And we really had to struggle with the idea of, you know, should we go ahead with that release? Yeah. But we did because it, it gave us like a way to shed light on the problems that are happening there. It gave us a way to speak to people in the news, not only about our music, which we're proud of, but also that same idea, like, that just the 
very notion of Putin saying Ukraine doesn't exist. Like it's just some perversion of Russian Russian language or Russian culture. We're showing you, we're playing songs that are hundreds and two hundreds of years old. You know, uh, my great grandparents, some of the songs that we play are ones that they used to sing. So, you know, uh, that's that could be nothing further than the truth that there's no such thing as Ukrainian culture. And, you know, one of our real fears right now, uh, uh, you know, be, beyond being afraid for our family and our friends and their lives is that, you know, as the war doesn't go in Putin's favor, he's now just randomly bombing whatever they can bomb. Yes. And, you know, there's, I don't know if you've seen this or not, but when this was all starting, you know, there was a meme going around the internet and it showed like a church in cave, which is still there in cave that's built in the 11th century and below it, a picture of Moscow at that time, which was just a forest. And then like another giant cathedral. These are things that are huge. Like they're larger than any church I've seen in Canada and fantastic architecture and fantastic artwork inside. And they're like thousands of years old. And, and at the time that these were built, there was nothing in Moscow. And, you know, so the, to say Ukraine's culture is, doesn't exist is, is, you know, ridiculous. And we're just doing our tiny bit, you know, to prove that that's false and also to do as much as we can. You know, the, our, our recent shows that we had to release our album, we were collecting money for humanitarian aid and we're about to just put on a, a huge concert at our, our arts and culture center, which is the largest theater in Newfoundland. Uh, the, the administration of that uh, theater approached us and said, look, we wanna help however we can, what can we do? So we have a show planned for the 20th of March, which is gonna be us playing, but with some of Newfoundland's biggest stars, uh, the folk group called The Once, uh, Tim Baker, who's uh, you know, a fana fantastic uh, solo artist. And he used to be also the leader of the, the well-known band called Hey Rosetta. And then a number of other like local artists who are well-known throughout Newfoundland, they'll all be on that show with us. And all the funds are going this time to the Canadian Red Cross's humanitarian aid uh, for Ukraine. But we're also uh, uh, suggesting people, there's also another uh, charity called the Canada Ukraine Foundation and they're providing like direct aid to people on the street. I mean, the Red Cross do great work. We really support them. They're providing things like medicine and food and shelter for refugees, for people that are, uh, you know, uh, suffering because their homes have been bombed, all that sort of stuff. The Canada Ukraine Foundation is also providing those things, plus stuff like non-lethal, uh, you know, a bulletproof vests for people that are just on the streets, like trying to help people that have been injured and, and things like that. So, so those are two places that we, wow. we consider people support. Yeah. That's that's great that you're doing that. Um, uh, I'm 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 glad you're out there playing through this. I think that's that's fantastic. Um, I want to wish you uh, the best success for your for your new album and uh, share our love and prayers for the Ukrainian people. Um, thanks for joining us today on on the agency, uh, Brian. And um, we'll be following uh, we'll be following the band through through the future. Uh, keep up the fantastic work. Thanks so much for inviting us, and thanks for uh, for sharing the information about our music and and about current events. Thank you. <laughs>
Забавляйте, я заскачу до коморі, на мене вважайте, як заїзде до коморі, як собі до каси, хай понюха солонину і смачні кобаси. by the Kubasonics <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that's, that's a, a great title for a, for a tune yes. by uh, by a wonderful band wow uh, and uh, and we're back and we're back and that was really fantastic I love it I'm getting their album they sound fantastic and uh, what a great um, sound they have they are a one type experienced band I noticed that he went to um, University of Alberta a long time ago and I I wish I could have asked him if he knew some of my friends there. <laughs> well, well, you never know. I'm sure for the music community, he probably does. Right. I'm going to reach out to uh, Wally May and Margaret May and ask them if they know uh, Brian. That's pretty cool. And maybe we'll find out because we'll share we'll share information on our um, social media. So good, good job, Eugene. I'm sorry I missed that interview. Um, and I missed it for a very specific reason, which I've been sitting on. I wasn't sure how I was going to tell you. You know some of the story, but our listeners do not know the story. And I haven't shared it on social media. But not only have you been busy with your wife and recovery and all the dogs and everything. Well, one night, um, shortly after we got back from New Mexico, I'm falling asleep and I'm watching TV. And I noticed that there's a new top chef. And I am so excited. Oh, my God, I love Top Chef. 
and it's in Houston. I can't wait. I'm, I'm watching. I probably watch about half an hour and someone knocks the door and they knock very loud. I thought it was maybe an um, ordering machine delivery. I was like, what the hell? I don't want to answer the door. I'm in my pajamas. And they're knocking and knocking. I'm like, I don't have anything. So why would they be knocking on my window? And I just thought, oh, I hope they go away. Keep watching my show. They come back. And I think, oh, this is not good. That's, this is making me alarm now. I run to the door and a young woman, a neighbor, is just yelling at me, your back of your house is on fire. I'm what? And she goes, your fire escape is on fire. And she said, I've called 911. I went, I, I was just like, what? I can't believe it. I run to the back of the house. I look out the window. And sure enough, I can see sparks coming down from the upper fire escapes. It's a wooden, remember we started out early in this podcast. And remember we had all the banging because they were ripping off the back of the building. I remember it. Yeah. So we were taking on one podcast. There were several podcasts where I was like, look, we have to bear with it. They're taking off this old um closed in fire escape putting on a brand new one which turned out that we had it during the pandemic it turned into a real blessing to be able to sit out there when we were all locked in quarantine well i grabbed my purse i i grabbed running shoes i was in my pajamas i put on my down coat i grabbed my purse i grabbed my green card and my passport and stag's passport and i threw on some clothes stag was at work and it was probably about 9 30 at night and i ran outside I, you know, sometimes you're not supposed to do all that, but I, I could tell by the fire, I had time to grab my passport and whatever and my cell phone and out I go and I'm running around. I'm screaming upstairs to the neighbors. I'm trying to see if my landlord is home. I'm running around the building, trying to find them. Eventually I find them. They had no shoes on, no coats on. Um, they had done the right thing and gone out of the building. Um, we managed to get them some shoes and coats and we climbed around to the back of the house and watched the firefighters, uh, fight this fire on our two top floors of the uh, fire deck, of the fire escape. Um, and it took hours. I didn't tell Steg right away. I called him when he got to, when I knew he was getting off work, I called him and just told him so he wasn't shocked. And I called up our good friends, friends of ours and friends of the podcast, Michelle and Megan. And they came over and picked us up and took us back to their house. So I'm doing the podcast from their place. Eugene, you can see an unusual background we're in their spare bedroom in the basement and they have put us up for the last, you know, week or two. And um, while we figure out what we're going to do now, this story, I must've been a real jerk in my last lifetime. That's all I can say, because if God damn it, I can't even tell you there was another fire. The next morning after that fire, I go into the apartment to get some more jeans and some clothes, get stag clothes. Our apartment was fine. The, the fire really had been contained upstairs on the top floor and um, into the their bedroom and the fire escape. Well, uh, so then the next day I went and got shoes and different things that I thought I got. I had taken the computer out the night I left when Michelle got me. I had a bad feeling. I thought I'm going to take my computer. I just don't want to leave it in the house. And, and besides, we were locking it and leaving it. So I tried to think of what a value I should take out when, when the fire chief took us back in to get a few more things. So the next morning I go to um, Stag and I take the bus over from Michelle and Megan's, get some more clothes and leave. He goes off to work. I spend the evening with Michelle and Megan and thank you. Thank you for putting us up and we're just relaxing. I get up in the morning to drive Michelle to work and go back to the... Um, the apartment and do some more cleaning when I get a text that there'd been another fire at three in the morning. 
So now our apartment is wrecked. They've torn the whole thing up. It's completely damaged. Whereas before, I mean, our books are still okay. Our DVDs are still good. Many, many things are still fine, but it's torn apart, ripped, ripped holes in the building. And I didn't tell Eugene, um, listeners, I told Eugene about the first fire. I accidentally sent him pictures of the second fire, but I wasn't going to tell him. <laughs> I wasn't going to tell him until I felt like. It's, but you know, something's up when, when you start getting texts of, of, a, of a burning building and it looks like it's really, really burning a lot. It's not even funny. And by the way, I should have started this whole story. No one was hurt. No one was hurt. And, you know, it's just stuff. There are people, what I'm, well, of course, what I've been thinking about is here we lost our home. We can't go back into the apartment, but I'm thinking about the people in Ukraine who have lost their home and they can't get their stuff and they're who knows if they're ever going to be able exactly. to, and they don't have a place to stay right now. So I've been reminding myself that we're warm and comfortable and, you know, people have found us a futon and Michelle and Megan have spoiled us rotten. Um, we've got a, a safe, warm place to stay for at least a month or two, a block away from our old apartment. So I can go in there. So today, one of the reasons why I missed the Kubasonics was I was here, but I had made arrangements with the boarding company. Do you know what a boarding company is? When you have a fire, all these companies come and bid on your house to board up the windows after the firefighters break oh, them. Oh, good God. Yeah, so while you're standing there, you're feeling like your whole life is ruined. Um, people are giving you business cards, like here. And I'm like, that is so bizarre. It's so bizarre. And I'm like, I don't even, I'm not the landlord. Give it to the landlord. They're like, no, take one anyway. Well, now this guy, the, whoever they hired, we are on a close commu communications because they have to let me into the house. So it's all locked up so it's secure, but all of our stuff is still in that apartment. Um, you know, they had to have fire inspectors and, and the police, because there was a second fire, perhaps it was suspicious. I don't know, or maybe it was questionable. Um, I have my theories and um, I don't want to say them on the podcast because <laughs> I live in Chicago. <laughs> so insert your imagination, insert yes. your imagination. And um no, apparently I do have a police report. It's a non-criminal fire. The second one was called a non-criminal fire. Okay. Um, I, I still haven't. So maybe they found some cause for it. Yeah. I, and I know one of the causes for it. So um, I'm not going to say it here. <laughs> okay. Cough, cough, cough. Um, somebody forgot to do something. Let's just say that. And um, so, you know, so today, once we, I thought we weren't getting the timing right. I took off because I want to meet the boarding guy. He's going to unlock the front gate and take the boards off the front door so I can go in for a few hours. So basically, once you called me that the interview was on, I was already on my way to meet this guy and I couldn't stop. So today, I literally, Michelle and Megan came with me. Um, they lent us a futon for the apartment we're gonna be staying in. Thank you. And then we-, we, we Michelle and Megan, you two just rock. You know I this. Know. You they know really you rock. Do. They really do rock. They are above and beyond and we feel so spoiled and lucky and we feel all cozy and we've got cats that we're playing with and looking at and they're entertaining us. And so there I was, they helped me. We went into the apartment, there's no lights and we all realized we forgot any kind of torch. So we just used our, our lights and our phones and um, there's holes in the kitchen floor. There are cupboards ripped off the wall, and we just tried to salvage pots and pans and silverware. That's what the goal was today. Pots, pans, silverware, put them in buckets, put them in bags. We carried them a block away to where we're going to stay, and I put them in the gangway, and I set up a, like a, a pseudo sink. Do you remember how I washed, hand washed my clothes in the pandemic? 
because I, I was afraid to go to the laundromat. Mm-hmm. So, because we don't have a washer and dryer. So I used that bucket. Michelle went around the back of the house and found that bucket, our laundry bucket. And I made a little makeshift sink in the gangway between the buildings. So I didn't take anything smoky into the new apartment mm-hmm. uh, where we're staying with our friend, Jason. Thank you, Jason. I don't know if he's going to hear this. He'd be probably embarrassed to hear his name on there. But he's a great friend and neighbor, and um, he just happened to have a space for us to stay for at least a month or two. And uh, so we can we can clean the apartment out. I mean, basically, by cleaning the apartment, salvage the clothes we can or any bedding. We don't know because some things are smoky, some things I'm, not. I'm, I'm very happy you have a community around you that's uh, that's jumping in to, to help out. I know. Aren't you glad um, you're so- not here? <laughs> <laughs> but you know well, the problem you know. with the story is that we had a fire 10 years ago 12 years ago in 2010 and i never would have thought in a million years i would ever have this experience again now the difference is that it really is on the pressure that one was the pressure felt like on us and this is on our landlords i feel terrible for them you know who knows when they're going to be able to go back at their house it could be a couple of years and wow. and they're not even sure so, I mean, you know, you have to replace drywall and all that stuff. But anyway, um, we're fine and I feel really bad. I didn't post on social media because I didn't want to bother anybody or be a drama queen. And um, I just also wanted to make sure I had like a place to stay and not freak everyone out, you know? And uh, so now we're settled. Maybe I will post a couple of pictures and, and share what's going on. And that's it. And we're we've doing well. What, once again, not to miss an episode. Oh we've yet to miss on this podcast. I know. We've yet to miss a single. Week I know. Since we I know. Started. I don't know how. I don't know because how sometimes it, I, like I was just sure. You know, we couldn't connect. We both had things going on. Right. It was With just Sheila's completely surgery, impossible. I know. And then and then we just sort of make it happen. Yeah. So. Yeah. So we were able to do this. I know. Last week we were we were we had guests. So that really was actually a godsend. I had already set them up in New Mexico. And they were lined up. So it just meant unbeknownst to me that I would need that that spare time, that little window to uh, deal with things. So it's been a shit show, but it's also been, I Stag and I have said, let's treat this as a blessing, that it's a miracle and that we have, it's a door opening to look at things differently. Sure. So, so that's how we're approaching it. And you know, I have a six month plan. That's the, the shitty part. I told you how we got back from New Mexico and I was going right back into writing. So my feeling is I don't want anything to stop that. So I'm just trying to get set up so that I can keep this flow, I feel. And, um, you know, we're going to do an art show, a, a vendor table on April 24th. That just came up at Martin's like we did before. And I said, hell yeah, we have to do that. Plus, you know, we want to go to the UK. I want to be in Toronto in June, at the end of June, and um, see my family. And then go to um, the UK for a month at least for my film. And I've also set up a studio in Wisconsin for editing. So, I mean, there's so much going on and I just don't want to lose that flow. And well, other that's people totally understandable. Yeah, I think other people would be like, you have to stop everything. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to stop everything. I'm going to do this somehow. Even if it takes me a month to clean our shit. <laughs> well, sometimes when, when life is insane, you can get the most interesting things done. I think so. I really do right? feel because so. you're forced to just organize yourself and just make everything happen. Yes. And you're also, you're vulnerable. You're leaving it open to the universe. And that's how we feel. Let's leave it open to the universe. Let's get our act together. Let's not get our act together. Let's see what happens. Let's see what happens. And Stag has managed to go to work 
every day since it happened. God love him. I mean, I think it was kind of good for him to go to work and, you know, he didn't have to deal with a lot of stuff. But tomorrow he's helping me wash. He's going to go on laundry duty tomorrow. <laughs> it's going to we're going to fill up. The, we're going to send him over to the laundromat all day. <laughs> anyway, sorry for my bad news. But um, anyway, it's not bad news. We're going to take it as a miracle. And well, um, the, the big thing is you're both safe. Yes. Right. That's and, really the important thing. Yes. And you're telling that you said you mentioned how, um, well, we haven't missed a podcast. Well, you know what? It's kind of like this podcast has been a, my focus through so many things that I never expected it would do. It kind of makes me go, you've got to get this done. You've got to get that done. Right. It's been a, it's yeah, been a for focus. me too. Yeah. I, yeah. It's also, it's making me do things like, well, go to that movie, read yes, that book. Yes. Yes. Right? Read exactly, those two articles. Exactly. You know, I, I'm just, I'm, much more disciplined about yeah, doing yeah. those sorts of things. You know, um, my family got out today. They went crazy. They went to my daughter and, and grandson went to the ROM today. I hope they don't nice. mind me saying so, but they haven't been for years because of the pandemic. And they went to a movie called Uncharted. And the, the consensus is it's a very good movie. <laughs> okay. Yes. Yeah, so I think we're going to have to try and see that in the next week or two. Okay. Looks yeah, like, it looks like your kind of movie. It's going to be a little bit of an adventure, I think. Well, I like adventures. You know, there's a couple of good movies coming out soon. Actually, I want to. Sandra Bullock has a movie coming out. Uh yeah, I heard that, and I have to see it. It looks so fun. Well, you know, I would see her in anything. <laughs> I know, reading the phone book. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know, I could watch that one with the bus like six times in a row. Speed, I know. I know. <laughs> Even though you just, can't remember just to the watch name Sandra of it. Bullock, like hold on to that steering wheel. Yes. Yeah. No, she was amazing. She stole the movie. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, here we've just been, you know, Sheila hasn't been able to watch any TV or anything oh, like that oh. because she has to keep her head down yeah. mostly, but she's been listening. So we've been yeah. trying to find things that mm. would be good for listening. You know, right. so we, we tried, we, were, we went back and we, we watched some uh, some of the uh, Kenneth Branagh Wallander episodes. Right. Um, well, she knows what and, they look like. <laughs> you know, when 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 I started to think, oh, now Sheila's not, she's only taking the odd glance. She can't really see the whole mm -hmm. thing. And I, you realize just how long the brooding sections <laughs> of music really go in Wallander. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> There's like some... a lot of, a lot of time without any dialogue right. at all. So if, if you're not watching, I don't know how she had any idea what was happening. It probably helped her pass the time though. And then um, we've been going through some episodes of something called Jack Whitehall travels with my father. Yeah. Well, we checked it out last night because you mentioned it. Mm -hmm. did you do did you enjoy them very much so funny and so silly and what a talented family so what's the deal they've decided they're bored from the pandemic they're going to do I, something you know i uh, i'm not sure just why they decided that they were going to to travel i think maybe i missed that part yeah what i um, ga gathered was that something he hadn't talked to anybody for two years his father and he was being a, a jerk and they had to get him out and do something that's the impression and, and I, I, I think that there's money there in the family because he's mentioned he's gone to uh jack has gone to boarding school oh they're posh um, this is a posh family his father's okay so it's a father and son story and the mother's in there right but his father right. is an agent to judy dench and colin firth he's a well-known uh British oh, is that so i had no idea yeah oh, okay. so his father's um 
he may even be an entertainer. He definitely comes off as uh, a performer himself. Maybe and he's it was the straight. Little, he's the really the straight man in this. He's the straight man, but he really made me laugh a few times. Like he gets some zingers in because yeah. every now and then he also has a potty mouth. He does. Right, and and out comes a, a fuck here and there. Yeah, and he, oh. well, yes, exactly. And then the son seems to be a stand-up comic and actor, and maybe a presenter. So they, yes, yes, like so on, they've done five seasons. I can't the, believe they've done five seasons. The first season, oh. they went to Southeast Asia. Oh, and well, I think I've, I saw a, a couple of those. Oh, I've started at the British one after the pandemic. Were there in England? Oh, oh, okay. oh I had well, no idea. We, we were just watching the um, the one. The second one, which was in Eastern Europe, there's five episodes. Oh, wow. And then they do two episodes in the American West, <laughs> uh, two episodes in Australia, and then five in England. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, I watched three in England last night uh, and they were great. I can't see now. I really want to go to England. It looked so amazing in the series. I, I'm sure if you just go to the beginning where it says other seasons in this show, you probably have them it. all. I, I thought I did that. I thought I was starting at the beginning. I mean, and I don't know. I was just watching whatever Sheila right. put on and, right. and we were in the Eastern European ones. Cool. But, you know, they dressed up in goofy outfits yes. and... And the son got to sing and pretend to play saxophone mm. with a Euro pop band. <laughs> I mean, it was just really goofy, yes. fun stuff. And there's quite an age gap between them. I yeah. think the father was 48 when the son oh, was born. Oh, okay. Um, and I think they, they're getting to know each other. Yeah. They don't really know each other. Right. And they're, they're, um, the I think the father has mentioned that the, the this son Jack is his least favorite son. Yes, he has mentioned that, and that he's an imbecile. Yes, because I love how he says imbecile, and they say idiot a lot. They call each, they insult each other a lot. Mother's part yes, of this, but they too. clearly love each other. Oh, they clearly lovely. It's very Canadian kind of mutual. It reminded me of my family. My my grandmother was always like that, like joking, you know kind of self-deprecating and and not self-deprecating uh, at your expense she might call you a name in fun <laughs> I, you know i think it, it was really for a week like this when um you know the the wheel isn't spin life is in chaos yes uh this is this is a, a good kind of light entertainment that's yeah. um that's really enjoyable oh, yeah. and funny. I was laughing out loud. Oh, so were Stag and I. We were tucked in bed down here in the basement at Michelle and Megan's. We put the computer on and Netflix on, and we were just giggling in bed last night, you know, laughing and laughing. Because at one point, um, they're in the car and they, oh, I love the little way they do the car, the model, as they're driving down a road. They make a little cartoon and it's really cute animation. But then they go, so they're driving along and the father's driving everywhere because the son doesn't drive. And the father's driving everywhere and the son pulls out a sleeping tube. You know, those things you put around your neck, only this is like elaborate. It goes over your whole head. <laughs> and his father at one point goes, what the fuck is that? <laughs> <laughs> and just the way he says it, he's like, oh my God, we were dying. So actually for like, as Stag was falling asleep, he was going, what the fuck is that? <laughs> And they did Morris dancing. They did, uh, oh, they wouldn't, his dad wouldn't stop at Stonehenge. That re reminded me of my father on road trips because my dad was a military guy. <laughs> and we'd go into all these great moving from one city to another and you'd see Dinosaur Land, Glass Castle, um, you know, World's Biggest Milkshake. And my father wouldn't stop for any of it. And none you know, of them. None of them. I stopped for years, all of them. I know that your crap. father was a well adjusted man. <laughs> my, I stopped for all of them now. Now I stopped yeah. for everything. 
because we never stop for anything. So as a child, you're driving by and you can see a dinosaur sculpture in the distance. You're like, father, why can't we stop? Why do you forsake me? And uh, yeah, like an eight-year-old kid, it was like torture. Um, anyway, the father proceeds to drive by Stonehenge. It seemed to me they should have stopped and gone to Stonehenge. And he's like, it doesn't look any better when you're next to it than in the car. I'm like, that has to be bullshit. It, has to, it certainly must look better. People were feeling religious experiences and, and astronomical experiences for how many thousands of years? I think you can't go in amongst the stones anymore. That really is upsetting. You must yeah. you think you can get I see it seems like wrong. It seems like they don't have a right to tell us we can't go in the stones of the world because someone made them to go into. So you can watch what time of the year it is. Yes, but now it's a historic site. And right, so but historic they're, they're for preserving who? the historic site. I know, but for But who? I, I'm kinda on your side in this. Mm -hmm. Like why can't twenty people go dead? You just go and you don't spit. Like you use your manners. How about that? You don't kick, you don't graffiti, you just go look at it. Some people can't do that. I mean, there are they people- have to, They have to take something home. They have to wreck something right. or they have to tag it. They have to get, um, they have to get um, park rangers to take care of it. Conservators. That's a great, a there's job. job creation. Job creation yeah. right there, right? I think it would be an excellent job. So, I mean, this has to be looked into because um, I know that, you know, what's funny is that there's people who, when they lived in England, they're, um, they went camping there. They'd go sleep in there. Now, maybe that's wow. why they've banned it. <laughs> maybe that's why it's closed. <laughs> but I thought you used to be able, you know. Because of those darn hippies having, having know. Their, you know at the end their, of, uh, their weed parties there. Well, I remember being struck at the end of Tess of the Dermavilles um, when they're wandering around right before she dies. She dies at Stonehenge. They're sitting, her and her boyfriend that messed up and didn't didn't trust her, they're sitting on the altars at Stonehenge. They don't say it is, but they describe it. Well, that's it. probably why then. I, and, and so that was Thomas Hardy. It wasn't even the hippies. That was way before the hippies. I blame Thomas Hardy then. Those and darn Tess. hippies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that darn Thomas Hardy. I hope that was the writer's name. I hope I was right about that. Um, you know what we watched last night? Before we watched that, we watched a really cute Pixar movie called Turning Red. It was really Oh, adorable. I want to see that. Yeah. I've, I've heard some interviews with oh. uh, the woman behind it. Oh, really? It's, and, it was yes, really good. And, and it sounds really fascinating. And it's very Toronto-centric, I understand. It's so Toronto-centric. It's bizarre. I, I, I couldn't believe it. It, it. it was just, I couldn't I couldn't stop watching it. It was so exciting. They had Daisy Mart. <laughs> And it's set in 2003, <laughs> 2003, and uh, which was kind of that's interesting. A, that's a curious year. Yeah, I think because I think there's a couple of reasons why. Um, maybe the cell phone situation. Maybe um, I don't know why. There's a yeah. When it was there, I was trying to think why did they do this year, and um, I don't know why there was a boy band involved. So maybe it was because of that. Um, it was really different, and it had a unique perspective. And I absolutely loved it. It's a little girl. It's a coming of age story. So you're going to love it. Well, of course, because um, <laughs> coming of age stories are us. Right. It's um, the animation is interesting. At first, I wasn't 100% sure I liked it. And then it really grows on you because they had a few varieties. And um, it's quite beautiful. Um, it's a little girl who um, is very, very compliant to her family. 
she's just fits in and she wants approval and pleasing her mother and her mother um you know they also have a lot of fun it's not like just cruel um she's just an overachiever girl she gets a's in school and helps clean they they, they are the um custodians of a temple in toronto and so she helps her mom keep it tidy and something happens where she loses her temper and she also gets a crush on a boy and unbeknownst to her she turns into a panda <laughs> a big red panda that happens <laughs> I know. and the animation on the panda it is so cute it's got the cutest little ears and she's just adorable and then she can kind of it's almost like the incredible hulk kind of a premise oh, anyway okay. a really a lot of fun but the toronto stuff is just crazy i think there was a tim hortons there was celine dion joke um it's just <laughs> <laughs> it was just a lot of fun in the um the sky domes in it it's still called the sky dome so maybe that's why it's in 2003 maybe um there's just a lot of things that make it seem very unique at that time period and so the, it's streaming is that right yeah it was it was on disney plus so okay. you, if you get Disney Plus, you might have to do the Beatles or find That's a couple of other what we shows. Would do that. Maybe we can get a one month trial and or just something. binge like every day Disney and Pixar. Yeah. Uh-huh. There's yeah. all um, kinds of coming of age stories on Disney. <laughs> uh, I think I'd like to see this one. So um, so I, uh, what we'll probably do is wait until um, the vision and Sheila's yes. right eye is yeah. a little bit more restored so yeah. she can more fully enjoy it. Yeah. And, and then she we'll, can sit uh, up and eat snacks and yes poor thing i feel so bad for her i feel bad for all of us <laughs> having a bad couple of weeks um but uh, coming out of it um what else do, oh yeah so travels with my father and oh i did mention to sheila i didn't know she couldn't actually watch and this show you kind of need to watch the faces i um megan and michelle got me into love is blind and it's a reality tv show where 14 okay. people sign up to um go into these, they, they get separated from the men and 14 women, they get their own apartment and right across the hall, I don't know, the sets are incredible. They set up this um, big, it must be a big warehouse. So the women get an apartment, the men get an apartment. And then in between their apartments are these things called pods. And um, they built these little rooms are about, I don't know, like a small bedroom with a couch and a glass partition, which is fogged over but you can hear through it. It's a paper thin partition so that you don't see the person you're speed dating. Do you know what speed dating is? Yes. Oh, you do. Okay. Well, speed dating. Yes. What a terrifying idea. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and it's where you sit for 10 minutes with somebody and talk to them and then you go to the next table. So they do this speed, almost like a speed dating where they talk. You're you're talking to somebody. who married a woman that he dated for 18 years first. I know. I know. (laughs) Like, you know, we needed a little time to make sure we got to know one another. Well, Uh, And speed dating is just not going to work around here. (laughs) No, it's not. Well, and Stag and I were friends for 15 years before we went on a date. (laughs) So there you go. Um, A little bit of a time crunch is impossible. So they go into this room for 20 minutes and they can't see the person. And you, you follow, you, you generally through an episode get to see about six to eight different people, uh, different couples. And then they mix a match because they're all talking to the same 14 people. And they find out some of them figure, some of them are super official. And they just ask stupid questions like, if we were at a music festival, could I put you on my shoulders? Which was so inappropriate. The women just were barf sick from him saying that. 
right? He was just trying to find out if they were tiny. And um, so, you know, questions like that, or what are you wearing? But many of them went into immediately into more profound, meaningful questions. Do you, they also all agreed that they really wanted to get married and they were ready to get married. So they do this speed dating, they get seven days or 10 days to do it. And that means every day they can start to um, pick some people they want to talk to again. And they also all had notebooks to keep track of their conversations. It was very strange, um, but also compelling. I couldn't stop watching. And you know what? I woke up in the night. You know what? You, you know, you fall asleep with Netflix and it keeps going. I wake up and stay sitting up watching it. <laughs> so it's, it's that compelling. <laughs> It's like that's why I love you because you're watching the uh, the speed dating, <laughs> the blind dating. You can't see the person um, and falling in love. So they get that. And so you, you can't you can't see the person, and your exposure to that person is only extremely brief. Is yes, twenty minutes. Well, this bodes well for a long and loving relationship. Right. Well, it's over it? and over again. It's a social experiment. They keep saying that, and it's hosted by Nick Lachey and Vanessa Lachey, and I love Nick Lachey. In fact, he won the last year's season of Mass Singer, and I knew it was him from the get-go. I could tell it was him. I don't even know uh-huh. his music, but I know him. Uh, so he, um, he used to be on the show um, on MTV, married to Jessica Simpson, and he had a marriage reality show. So it kind of makes sense that he's a host of the show. Now, long-term, I'm not telling you something, Eugene. At the end of this 10 days, where they get to go back and talk to people over and over again, it's a short period of time, but it's for 10 days. So two or three times a day, you could go back to the same person and talk to them, I think. And at least every day you could. So you are going to start to know something about them. And some people are getting this emotional connection at this point. And the goal is, if you fall in love in this time period, you have to ask them to marry you. And if you ask them to marry you, I know you're going to hate this part, then get this. You go and live together for three weeks. Just like that. You've never seen them. So what happens is when there's them. a connection, let's say there's a connection, mm-hmm. the guy, generally the guy asks the woman that he really likes, they like each other. They're already telling each other they love each other and they propose and they say yes or no. If they say uh-huh. both say yes, they go into another hallway the next day. It's not the same day. I like how it's not that day. I guess the production has to set up the cameras for the next day. You go in the next day and then they, open up a door, you're standing behind these clear, foggy doors. They're not clear, they're Mm -hmm. opaque. And then they open the door and at the same second you see each other. And they usually run and hug and kiss and go, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, look at you. They never go, oh my God. Well, one might have, one kind of rolled her eyes. She was like, you could tell she wasn't into the guy. And that was a car crash, I'll tell you. She was a car crash from the get-go. So then they- Did they get married? Oh yeah, there's marriages got, happen. So yeah, wait so for the, it. They, this couple that was a train wreck, they got married? No, 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 no. Oh, she okay. came clean finally. She was looking for only a Christian husband and he was an atheist. So, I mean, <laughs> I don't even know why they were bothering, right? I think you could do that if you were both very, very interested in uh, talking about philosophy. I think you'd both have to really like those deep questions without changing each other. And agree to what you do with the kids. Because she was an evangelical. And she was um, she wanted her kids to be like born again. Like not just born again. I mean, I think she was a fundamentalist Christian. When you see her family, it was 
sorry, it was a little bit disturbing. They were pretty scary uh, because they said to this guy, we, we like Christianity and we like being American, which suggested they wanted to know if he was actually white. So that was not attractive. Um, so anyway, so you've got these out of the 14 couples in this one season, about six people say they're going to get married. Then they go and live together. They see each other for the first time. Then they go and live in an apartment together. And they were all from Chicago and they all go back to these apartments that are either their own or the set the company has given to them to live in. And they live there for three weeks and tell their family what they've done. And their family is not impressed. They are freaking the fuck out. Oh, surprise. I know. They are freaking out. And um, all of that is extremely entertaining. It's quite fascinating because they're like, how could this possibly be? And then the person that's come into the family is convincing the parents, no, I really love them. And you can start to tell that some of these people really are in love. And then the next step is they date like they live together for three weeks and then they have to get married. They go off. He gets in a suit. She gets in a wedding dress and they have this venue set up for them. This is all within six weeks. They have a venue with flowers. They, and they, don't, they don't spend a year and a half fussing uh-uh. about the wedding? Or 18 years. No, they do or not. 18 years, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so they go into this room, you know, like a church, a wedding venue, and there's a minister, and the minister says, okay, tell us what you, is love blind? And then the female says something, then tell us, is love blind? And the male says something. And then they say, well, now is the time. Are, do you want to marry this person? And then you're sitting there. You have no idea if they're going to actually get married or not. And out of those six couples, two of them are got married. Other four, no. And at their wedding dress, with their wedding dress, they go, no, I'm not married. <laughs> and the family's all like been on a roller coaster ride through this whole thing. Fascinating. And the wheel isn't spin candy. That's all I can say. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. It's compelling. And even more compelling, or just as compelling, there's a version in Japan. And, and the little bit of cultural differences are so moving. You'll love it. You'll love love. You're hurting me. You're hurting me, Candy. <laughs> there's one in Brazil, too, but apparently it's just sex. Which, maybe that's more your speed. <laughs> well, I, you know, <laughs> Stang if, said he if, was if everybody is just out there shopping for sex, which they are. I get that. I, I get I get how an app could be very yeah, good for that because exactly. it identifies the people who are close by. Yes. And if what the issue is yes. is just sex, then you want right. someone who doesn't have to drive around town, right? Isn't it amazing that people used to use Craigslist for hooking up uh, before Tinder? And I mean, I, I think they probably still do use Craigslist. I had no idea. Yeah, they'll use Craigslist and then they find people. Gigi. And then they will find people and and hang out for the night and goodbye. They might bring some booze or party favors. So, I mean, I can actually, I can see a show that's based on something like that just because people aren't bargaining for the long term there. Mm -hmm. And in this show, they're bargaining for a long-term relationship without enough right time and information and experience to make 
any kind of judgment, which is sane. Well, yeah, but you know what? You know what I thought about was it's it, crazy. It's crazy, but you know what it reminded me of? You should be able to guess what it made me think of. Arranged, arranged marriages. marriages. There you yes. go. See, they just came two, to me. Two great minds. Um, it yes, just, it's very much like an yes, arranged and, and, and actually, as I was as I was saying, it's crazy. <laughs> I was starting to think. You know, I read somewhere that a remarkably large percentage of arranged marriages mm-hmm. are successful. Yeah. And I have no idea if that stat was valid or not. Right. I read it's, that somewhere. It's obvious in the show that they have cast people who say they really want to get married and they're really open and they're going to go into the social experiment. And the thing is, you can tell when the person might be appropriate for the other person. It's quite apparent that That's they really buy. Funny. It's it's compelling because as a viewer, I can see when it's going to be good. I can see the way they talk and listen to each other with respect. And that the I think the other thing is the two couples I saw that got married, they seem to both have a huge respect for the idea of marriage and living together. And I think that played a lot more than the other things. The other people all seem to have a weak link that one of them just saw relationships either as attention getting or, and maybe even being on the show as a getting attention. Um, but the two that I saw that landed up going into the reunion, the reunion episode, they were still together. Uh, how long, how much of space was that? I don't know, but I think it was a couple of months. Well, I'm going to say that if anybody goes through that <laughs> kind of insanity yes. to find their life mate mm-hmm. and get married and, it's a loving, successful, long-term relationship. Well, good for them. Good for them. That's yeah. how cool is that? That what would a be story pretty cool. That would to be tell cool. the kids down know, the road. Right? I know you're right. I know. So right? I they just, I know. just like just imagine telling the kids. <laughs> so your mom and I were on this reality show. Yeah. Right, but we weren't allowed to even see, see each, each other. other. Yeah. Right, and the kids would think, "Oh God, my parents, my parents are so crazy." I know. Well, it's all- like every kid thinks about their parents. Right. right? Well, each of the people had a reason why they didn't they were suspicious about being judged on your looks and that does not mean that they had something physically um frightening about them or or unusual or or any reason why people would judge them pretty much everybody was very good looking on the show and not necessarily hollywood beautiful but you know decent face decent structure they were very presentable you would hire them all of them seemed employable (laughs) You know what I mean? They were good, clean cut kids. And um, so it, you know, you're going, well, maybe if you were desperate or lonely or you were a drug fiend, you would have to go and do this. But no, they were tired of being judged on their looks and having it be judged like that. And if you think about Tinder, where you just swipe and you keep swiping a picture of somebody until you like them, that's, I mean, that is the lowest denominator. And Facebook, you remember the social network movie, Facebook was designed to rank women. You know, if they were, yes. So, I mean, they didn't want to be, and there was a couple of very beautiful women saying, I don't want to be judged on how I looked. I'm tired of being insecure in that. And you're like, wow, okay. So everyone has a vulnerability. Um, Last night, I started watching one of the other seasons and it was a scientist. And... um, he he didn't really seem to have time to date or he was a um, maybe just very involved in his work and he was quite open to this and yet he didn't want to be alone so he was willing to take a risk what if he met somebody and he wouldn't be alone anymore 
That's interesting. Well, they had some I, I I get it. Yeah, sure. yeah. There's some sen- there was either they're fantastic actors or there was feelings, I thought, people who were sincere. It was fa- it's a fascinating show and it really is. It does, I mean, aside from Brazil, apparently Brazil is just like Tinder, all, only on a TV show. It's all about hooking up. Um, ah. And, but I don't know if that's true. I'll have to check that out. <laughs> Very, I'm curious. <laughs> and report back and later. I'll report back later, yeah. <laughs> hey, just before we yeah. go, yeah. I wanted to uh, mention to our listeners you know, every now and then we mention that we do have a Patreon page oh, yeah. for people who love the podcast and want us to pay bills. Yep. Well, it, it came to our attention <laughs> that if you go to Patreon and you search for the agency, rarely do you ever find it. Sometimes you find it. Candy mm-hmm. seems to be able to find it searching more than me. Yeah. If I search, I just can't find it. So right. I asked them at, uh, at Patreon, well, what's going on here? <laughs> and I got a, a response really quickly that said, "Oh, yeah, your, uh, you know, the the amount of uh, returns on your on the searches is going to be highly restricted because you've got your uh, you've got your 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 podcast uh, labeled as adult content." Right. Speaking of love is blind, Fuck, why would we call it adult content? I know. I must have done it. I must have thought. That it was a good I don't I must have done it because I set up the Patreon page, but I don't can't even tell you what my logic would have been or if I was aware I did it. I or or no that idea. you thought that there was any repercussions to like that it would mean anything right. in terms of searchability. I, I wouldn't have thought that at all. I'm sure I wouldn't have. I don't remember now because it was over two years ago what so it was the, like the, signing up. The amazing people who have managed to find us on Patreon yes. and and have supported us are superheroes, man. Because right. they well, probably we gave a direct link. That's I think so. Right. And also, I do remember that um, um, someone uh, messaged me or sent an email saying they couldn't find it, and then they said, "Oh, I found it. I found it." But they had a hard time, and I didn't think that had anything to do with how we were ranked or anything. But we have written um patreon they have removed the adult content blocking us from being found on the internet you can now find us super easy on google and um even a dollar or two we're looking to get some funds here we're looking to pay our bills and keep on podcasting and you know what i think it just also feeds our our sense of (laughs) self-worth And if you want to contact us in general, mm-hmm. you can email us anytime because we love getting emails to the agency dot po- dot podcast at gmail.com. And uh, we, might just, we might just read your email on the program. Maybe we should call this episode adult content. Oh, yeah, that'll get to lots of hits, right? I hope so. That's the, you know, that's what all the YouTubers do. They always have a thumbnail yeah. that looks really provocative right. that says, you'll never believe what happened in India. I know. They also do a thing like um, they took down this politician or something. And it never, it's always a boring video when they make this thing like someone, someone you know, put them in their place. And I, I'll watch it. I'm like, no, that's just so boring. But, you know, a lot of the successful YouTubers do that. Mm-hmm. They, they go for sure. the cheap clickbait. Oh, thumbnail. we would never do that. We would never do that. We would never stoop no, that low. Not that low. That Maybe low. Ever. Pretty low. Pretty low. <laughs> Pretty low. Well, um, so anyway, email us anytime. Yeah. Um, 
we want to thank our our listeners for definitely you keep coming back you're awesome and uh and we love each and every one of you and you give us a little bit of a goal in our life thank you so much and um, once once again i want to thank uh brian chervek from the kuba sonics for uh uh for for joining us this week we really appreciate it and they have a new album mm-hmm. uh out you can get it's called kuba songs and you can get it where you buy music please yeah. support the kuba sonics they're fabulous and and you know i think that they're they're playing ukrainian party music in the face of a really rough time that i mean it's just awful what's going on in in, in ukraine right now yeah um so uh support these guys who can. yeah great job eugene and thanks for letting me blab on about my reality TV show. <laughs> we'll be back at you next week.